The Bible reading this morning is from Romans 6, chapter 1, cha- sorry, verses 1 to 10. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live in a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Morning, everyone. Powerful video, isn't it? Sound very loud, but I hope you can hear me okay. 
It might be your 50th or your 60th Easter Sunday morning that you have been to church in your life. I've been to a few myself, but there's something about that breath in the tomb that I think really makes this day special for us, doesn't it? That breath, he is alive, he's not dead, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. And we say that on this day of all days. Good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church Only. It's really great to be with you this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, perhaps you're here particularly to see uh, the Ewan's dedication and baptism a little bit later on. Welcome. It's really terrific to be here with you this morning. My job over the next 20 minutes or so this morning, I see it is kind of has two steps. The first thing I want to do this morning is to remind you of the events of that first Easter 2,000 years ago. And my second job this morning is to try and help you see why that matters for us today. I mean, the events, they happened 2,000 years ago. They happened on the other side of the world in the Middle East. What on earth could that, why does that matter for us today in little old Adelaide? And to start us off thinking through those questions, I want you to do a little bit of soul searching this morning, so to speak. I'd like you to think back in your minds to try and think of the most important bit of information you've ever been given. What's the most important thing that someone's told you or passed on to you? What do you think? might be washing your hands after you've been to the toilet, something simple like that. Or it might be brushing your teeth two times a day. Or it might be investing your money wisely. What's the most important bit of information you've ever been given? When I ask myself that question, my mind wanders back to early primary school. I was pretty young, maybe in year two or year three, that kind of age. It was a long time ago, and so the memory's a little bit faint as to who actually was involved in this story, but I think it was my friend and my friend's mum, and we were talking about important things. And my friend's mum said, the most important thing to do is to put on clean underwear every single day. Good advice in one sense, isn't it? And it sticks in my mind, I think, because my friend said to his mum, well, how would anyone ever know? Most important bit of information, but how would anyone ever know? It's a fair question, isn't it? And her response just sticks in my mind. She said something like this, you'll never know when your time's up. You might get hit by a bus or your heart might just stop at any time. You never know when. And then when they're getting you ready at your funeral, they'll know whether you had clean underwear or not. I thought they will know, but really I won't care at that point. And it probably sticks in my mind even more because not long after that year, a kid in my class was killed by a bus. And I kept thinking, did he have clean underwear or not? (laughs) It's a ridiculous thing, isn't it? But what do you hold to be of most importance? What's most important in your life? What matters to you most? For the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote much of the Bible that I have in my hands here today, the events of Easter, the things that we just saw in this video, are what mattered most to him. What mattered most for him was the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. These are the things that the Apostle Paul calls of first importance. The things of the very first Easter, 2,000 years ago. And because Paul calls them, because the Bible calls them the things of first importance, 
I want us today to make sure that we know what those things are. If you've got your Bibles with you today, that's terrific. You might have them on your phone. I'm going to have some Bible passages on the screen behind me as well. Because I'd like you to to look up these passages, to read them either on the screen or in your Bibles that you're holding in your hand. It doesn't really matter what I say. I'm just the church pastor here. I'm fallible like each one of you. But God is speaking to us today through this book. And I'd love you to hear God speaking to you today. We're going to be working our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. And we're also going to spend a little bit of time looking at Romans 6, the passage that was read to us just before. So our first passage that I want us to look at this morning is 1 Corinthians 15. I want us to read verses 3 to 7 together. This is Paul speaking. And here's what he says. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, I love my chocolate eggs as much as the next person. But what's Easter really about? Well, it's about the things that Paul calls of first importance. Not wearing clean underwear each day, as important as that may be. No, the things of first importance are this. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. These are the events of of Easter 2,000 years ago. And Paul, he's very clear, isn't he? These things really happened. He's not speaking metaphorically here. He's, He's not using an analogy. This is not symbolism that's on view here. No, Paul wants us to know Jesus really lived. And he really died. And he was really buried. And he rose. The evidence is there for us in the text. And at least in my experience, the more I've been reading the Bible, the more I've studied it, the more convinced I am that these words are the truth. These events happened in the Middle East 2,000 odd years ago. This book tells us the events of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Tells us that soldiers executed Jesus. They knew what they were doing. He was really dead when they buried him. And on the third day, he arose. I love that bit in the video that we just watched. The breath at the end. It's kind of unexpected, isn't it? I think that's the really remarkable bit of Easter, is that Jesus rose. That he was raised from the dead. It's magnificent, isn't it? Good Friday is a terrific day as we remember the cross and the forgiveness of sins. But here's the truth. Jesus was not the first person to die for someone else. It's still happening even today. The Australian War Memorial lists 43 Australian soldiers who have died just since 2001 in Afghanistan. Each one of those men and women laid down their life out of duty. Their sacrifice deserves to be honoured and respected and remembered. Jesus himself says in John's Gospel, greater love has no no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
And I'm very, very thankful for the sacrifice of our armed forces. But here's the thing, each one of those 43 people who gave up their life, they are still dead. Jesus was buried in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, he took a breath. And he keeps breathing, he arose. And that's just extraordinary, isn't it? I wonder if this is the bit of the Easter story that you find just the most difficult to get your head around. It's the most extraordinary bit, really, isn't it? And I think that's why Paul's so clear in this passage about the resurrection appearances. He knows it's hard to get your head around this. So you've still got that passage open. Look at verse 5 that we just read. Jesus appeared to Cephas. That's, that's Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter knew Jesus just about as well as any other person. It wasn't a case of mistaken identity. But it wasn't just Peter that Jesus appeared to. He also appeared to all the disciples and then to more than 500 others. And when Paul first wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, many of those 500 were still alive and kicking. And and Paul's really saying to them, if you don't believe me, go go and ask around. 500 people saw the risen Jesus. There are eyewitnesses. Ask them. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That's what Paul is telling us. And that's what makes this day so special, isn't it? Jesus has been raised. And you know what? Without that truth, Christianity really would be worthless. Futile, in fact. In fact, Paul goes on to say exactly that in the next section of this letter in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read to you from verse 16. He says this, For if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. Now, Paul's not messing around here, is he? If Jesus has not been raised, if the resurrection didn't happen, well, we may as well go home. We might as well give up meeting together as a church. We might as well give up on thinking that there's anything more to life than what we just have in the here and now. Without the resurrection, our faith is futile, hopeless, a waste of time. I read an article this week that I saw on Facebook. It was in The Guardian. got a photo of it on the screen. It was written by a man called John Harris. Now, he doesn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He doesn't have faith in the God of the Bible. Now, look what he says. He's kind of lamenting last year. He says, like millions of other faithless people, I have not even the uh, flimsiest of narratives to project on what has happened, nor any real vocabulary with which to talk about the profundities of life and death. No vocabulary even to talk about life and death. That's hopeless, isn't it? And that's the position that we would be in. No vocabulary to talk about life and death if it were not for the resurrection of Jesus. If it were not for the resurrection, we're to be pitied, said Paul. But the great news of the gospel, the great news of the Bible, in fact, is that Christ did rise. He appeared to Peter and then to the other disciples and to more than 500 others. We can be sure. 
that he arose. These are the things that Paul tells us are of most importance. Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins. He was buried and on the third day he rose. Now I reckon over this weekend most of us would have had our fair share of good chocolate. Perhaps you've got a um, chocolate bilby hidden away somewhere in the cupboard or those high quality eggs that you've stashed away from the kids somewhere where they can't find them. You're probably not thinking much this weekend then about fruit, I imagine. You're thinking more about chocolate, not fruit. So I just want you to stop thinking about chocolate for a sec and I want you to imagine for a moment a ripe, perfect mango. In our house, mangoes are the fruits most valued. Um, Hamish particularly loves a good mango, but they're enjoyed by all of us in our family. Now, the thing about mangoes is they're not cheap, are they? Not a cheap fruit to buy. And especially early on in the season, mangoes are very expensive. And each year in the Brisbane produce market, the very first tray of mangoes that are picked and sold are auctioned off for charity. The very first ones. So rare are they at this point in the year that they fetch a really high price. And the money goes to charity, but in years gone by, a single tray of mangoes has sold for $70,000. The first tray of mangoes. And typically they sell for twenty dollars to $30,000 for a tray of mangoes. Now these mangoes, if you will, are the first fruits of the mango season. Now I imagine that none of us would pay that sort of money for a tray of mangoes, But what I want you to understand about these mangoes, these expensive ones, this first tray, is that they signal something to us, don't they? They signal the start of the mango season, that that mangoes will soon be ripening, the season has started, the rest of the fruit will soon be on the supermarket shelves. This first tray of mangoes, in a sense, it blazes a trail and it says, mangoes are coming, get ready for it. I tell you this because... The Apostle Paul calls Jesus something strange. He calls him the first fruits of the resurrection. And we see that as we read on in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read from verse 20 now if you're following along in your Bibles. It says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Great news. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So here in Adelaide in 2021, we're a long way from the events of that first Easter, right? It was some 2,000 years ago, it was across the other side of the world in the Middle East. And many of us might just have trouble kind of remembering what happened last week. So what can all this Easter stuff, what can it have to do with us today? Well, here's the answer for us. Jesus' resurrection was just the first of many that will come after. His resurrection is, as Paul calls it, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So just as that first tray of mangoes, signals the start of the mango season and that more mangoes are coming after. So Jesus' resurrection gives us confidence and knowledge of what lies ahead for those of us who belong to him. See, Paul's telling us here of of what's coming up 
what we're to expect. We're to expect that we too will die. But, but for those of us who belong to Jesus, we can have confidence that just as he, like the first fruit, just as he rose, so too we will rise. See, Jesus has destroyed death and so we can look forward to a time when we too will rise. That's the great news of Easter, isn't it? Not only does Jesus rise, but those who belong to him, we too also will rise from the dead. Now, perhaps you're sitting there this morning and this just sounds like too good to be true, sounds like wishful thinking. If that's the way you're feeling this morning, let me encourage you, read the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a great chapter in the Bible. And consider its claims. See what Paul's saying. Think about his eyewitness accounts. And you go one step further, read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. See what those people say about the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Consider the claims, weigh them up. And if it's true that that God has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then have a think about what that means for us and the implications for us. If he has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, perhaps he has the power to raise us as well. We need Jesus. The Bible tells us that. And we have the resurrection of our bodies to look forward to. And yet even those of us who have been living out this sort of thing for 50 or or more years than that, it's such an amazing, such a dramatic thing, knowing that death has been defeated, knowing that we too, like Jesus, can rise. It's such a big thing to get our heads around. I think we can have trouble kind of believing and trusting in that. The spiritual reality is that we too will be raised to new life. There's no doubt about that. But because it's so hard to fathom, so hard to get our heads around, I think God has given us a gift to help us see and hear and feel in this physical world the reality of what has already happened in the spiritual realm. That is, we have been saved and raised to new life. What is that gift that God's given us? Well, we call that gift baptism and today we have a wonderful example to see that with our own eyes as we watch Michael in a few moments be baptized now for sure baptism is about a number of things in the bible Jesus commands his followers to be baptized we read about that at the end of Matthew in Matthew chapter 28 in the great commission Jesus says go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit And so today, Michael is being obedient to that command of Jesus to be baptised. Baptism represents a number of things. But here on Easter Sunday morning, what I want you to see most clearly when we head outside in a few minutes is that baptism lives out this reality for us that just as Jesus died and rose, so we too who belong to Jesus, can have great confidence that we will rise. Now, just in case you think I'm making this all up, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It's the passage that Trish read to us earlier. It'll be on the screen. Here's what it says. I'm just going to read from verse 3 this morning. This is what Paul, again, is the author. 
He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's a worked example, isn't it? I wonder if you can remember back to your days of being at school and maybe sitting in the maths room. For some of us, it's a bit further to think back than others. But I can remember having a maths theorem explained to me in my mathematics class, but it really only made sense for me when the worked example was demonstrated on the board. So the maths teacher might have said something like tan theta equals opposite over adjacent. And it wasn't until the two sides of the triangle were kind of worked through as an example that the geometry lesson made sense to me. And I hope the baptism of Michael that we see today makes sense for you in in a way like that. Because it's a physical reminder, a physical expression even, of something that's already happened in the spiritual realm. Baptism is taking something that's hard to understand, our dying to sin and our new life with Christ, and demonstrating it in a way in which we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears and, if you want, even touch. So what has happened? Well, today we'll see Michael buried under the water of baptism. That picks up the reality of Jesus dying on the cross and being buried. Now, I'm not going to hold Michael underwater for three days. Don't worry about that. It's just a representation after all, right? But what I want you to notice what happens is when he's been under the water, when he comes up, just like in our video, he's going to take a breath. He will breathe. He'll fill his lungs, just like in the video that we saw. Now, of course, this is no resurrection, what's happening outside, because Michael clearly is not physically dead. But this is a demonstration of what is happening in the spiritual realm. Michael is putting his trust and his faith in Jesus. He's saying that he belongs to him. And because of that, Michael can be absolutely confident that when the time does come, when he is dead, that he will be raised with Jesus in a very real way. I love baptisms because they show us that Jesus really was the first fruit of the resurrection, the trailblazer. They remind us that we too have great hope of new life. On Easter Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. It's the thing that matters most for us as Christians. Without it, we're lost in our sins. But this Easter, I also want us to be able to give thanks for the sure knowledge that just as Jesus was raised, so too those who belong to him will be raised. Just as Jesus was buried in baptism, so we may have new life in him. These are the things of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that gives each of us, those of us who belong to Jesus, confidence and hope and assurance and certainty that we will not stay dead, but that we too will be raised to new life. And knowing that is how we live out the certainty of our baptism. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to use a prayer, an Easter prayer this morning. 
Will you bow your heads as I pray with us using this Easter anthem? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the feast. Not with the old leaven of corruption and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ, once raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no dominion over him. In dying, he died to sin once for all. In living, he lives to God. See yourselves, therefore, as dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who sleep. For since by one man came death, by another has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all will be made alive. Father, we give you thanks for the symbol of baptism and for the great hope and confidence that we have that we too, who belong to you, will rise. Amen.